Commonwealth Christmas here on the Owls AmeriCast, Sheffield Wednesday Opinion with an American Accent. We're not feeling very cheery, but on the plus side, you won't have to hear me sing next week. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. I am drinking a Big Bad Baptist Imperial Stout. Stout with cacao nibs and coffee added and aged in whiskey barrels, a smooth 11.9%. One pint, six fluid ounces. Because I'm off for the next seven days, so we're going to go right for the heavy hitters, and it will also make this, well, shorter for us podcast a little more palatable. We are shorthanded this week, as you might expect. Many of us have scattered across the Atlantic Ocean. We'll even be subjecting themselves to some Wednesday games for some reason over in that part of the world. We soldier on. Patty is a complete no-show this week. But James will be here later in uh, his own little special segment, a podcast within a podcast that I'm sure was also beer-fueled. But on the line this week in Ohio, Evan Skilter. Evan, what are you drinking? I'm still on the Elysian Dayglow IPA from last week. And in case you need a reminder, Dayglow crashes the party with the juicy beat of hops, dripping with tropical sunshiny mosaic and sparkling with touches of El Dorado and Centennial. Contains wheat. I'm not going to make This is the second time we recorded this, and I made a joke about how big the growler was. But I'm just not going to do it again. Well, I'll respond again. Um, there's no growler. It was a six-pack. The beer's not that great. So there's still some beer left from last week. Also with us on the line this week is Paul Owen. Paul, what are you drinking? Um, I'm helping a draft stout celebrate its 200 years in America from a small island in the Atlantic. Uh, may have heard of it, called Guinness. <laughs> Nothing more exciting than that, really. It's um, a can of Guinness. Actually, I've got four here. I don't intend drinking them all, but I bought four. Do you have the uh, pub cam little widget? The nitro in the bottom? Yeah. Great, that's great radio. <laughs> yeah. Hold it closer to the mic so. next time. Shall I? Like this. There you go. Uh, nice one, Paul. <laughs> so we'll start with the Wolves review. And really Do we have um, to do we have to do so, this? So we do have to talk a little bit about it. Here's the thing. If you've listened to the last couple weeks of the podcast. Um, oh, we just copy you can yeah. just we listen just to those because we're going to yeah. say the same exact things. Uh, there was a slight change. Uh, a few a extra injuries in the squad, Paul, and they rolled out what's probably their worst lineup of the year. Yeah, it wasn't very inspirational, was it? I mean, we all know the lineup. I'm not going to talk about that necessarily, but it, it was just frightening, wasn't it, how it, there was a moment when we saw that, that, that lineup um, I think it was Westy and Bannon, the last two kind of, you know, good players to to drop. And um, how how we do have a very big squad, deep squad, but quality is quite thin, isn't it? You know, um, going into that game, particularly against Wolves, wouldn't you know it? You know, Sod's Law says if it's going to happen, it's going to happen against them. We ended up with a very very average-looking team on paper. Um, you know. We we were meeting at the New York Owls and people were sort of talking about not bothering turning up just because it was uh, it was going to be a, a rough a rough one. But, yeah, but but you say all you say all that and at the same time we we still looked decent against the the league leaders. You know we, right. we still we were still able to keep up and 
I'm not going to say we played well. I know that Wolves were pretty dreadful on the day, but you know it was at least nice that we we stayed in it, and it, it was exciting all 90 minutes. Exciting I might be a I, bit I, of a stretch I, on my end. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't. It, it was exciting for us, wasn't it? Compared with the last couple of weeks, I think we actually put in an average championship side shift, which is a refreshing change for us lately. You also had a lot of free beer, though, Paul. I did, yeah. That helps. I, I was stuck free? watching it at work. How'd you get the beer free? It's Christmas drinks. Uh, uh, what's that? I mean, what do you mean? You just Santa Claus came with the sack full of beer. How's yeah, this I work? mean, more or less, yeah. Patty came with a uh, <laughs> sack full of New York Owls merch money from the air. Ah, uh, okay. See now, now, now it makes sense. Thank you. Patty even has the graying beard at this point too. Yeah, he does. Well, yeah, I, I just think that yeah, obviously it's it was rough because you know, we only managed one shot on target, but you know, wolves were were pretty clinical. I think. I, uh, see, the, I just... the finish the finish was beautiful, and I, I think to, to only lose that one nil was was pretty nice. I just think like the way they were torching the left side of our defense. If they'd wanted, to, if we'd equalize, which we certainly didn't look like doing, I think they would have found a second if they really needed it. They just look so much better. I mean, they, they look like the league leaders, and I think you're right. We performed well given the circumstances, but it just wasn't good enough. It looked like a mid-table side kind of holding their own against a much better team. Absolutely, you know. I think we uh, we in the first twenty minutes we we seemed to be kind of going for it, which is why I was referring to it as a a surprise, pleasant surprise. But as you know, as my dad says, we huffed and puffed, but we were never never really threatening. I think we, you're right, Jeff. We were sort of hanging on, weren't we? They just felt like they were, you know, they were kind of cruising, and I think they did have a bad bad performance. I think it wasn't a great night for them, but. We were never gonna gonna win that. I don't think. I mean, you know, we were just sort of hanging on. Um, you look at chances. I don't even know if there was one quality chance. I think Reach steaming in, you know, in the first sort of twenty minutes or so could have been a belter, but he missed that one. And I, I wrote them all down. You know, we had Reach, we had Van Aken, we had Palmer, Hooper to no one. Um, with that little sort of nod back. Uh, Hooper when he was put through, ball wouldn't come down. Jow who just was Jow. You know, I mean, there was nothing there, was there? There was a handful of half chances. Um, and that, that's what worries me. I think we're getting excited about some of these moments in games, and we just shouldn't be, you know? They're, it's, they're uh, half chances. It's, it's pretty bad. You, know, yeah, you get, you get no half chances. Yeah. Well, they're half chances, and, and you say Jow is Jow. I don't even know who Jow is or what he does. <laughs> Seriously, he's out there, and he gets the ball at his feet. He looks lost. He, there's no, There's absolutely zero creativity in his game. I'm not quite sure what role he's supposed to play. Obviously, he's supposed to score goals, but he doesn't even come close to that. I, I really can't figure out why he keeps getting selected. When he had his good run in, Jesus, at this point, two full years ago, he looked like a young, raw striker, but he was big, he was physical, he was pacey, and he was decisive i don't know if it's a confidence issue if he's i mean he's bigger now and stronger certainly i don't know if it's good weight as we say in the uh sort of the baseball prospecting community but he just doesn't look 
confident. His decision-making is ponderous at best. And he never really looks a threat with the ball at his feet. Well, well, here's what bothers me with what you said and how you started that sentiment. You were absolutely correct. Two years ago, he had a great run of form, and he looked big. He looked good. A couple podcasts ago, you said, Jeff, you said, this team is basically the team from two years ago. You know, knew he was coming on and saving us late, and, you know, we're playing the exact same type of team that we played two years ago. We haven't progressed. We haven't gotten better. We're not scary. We're not creative. We don't catch anyone off guard. We're the same old Sheffield Wednesday that we've been for two or three years, and, and there's no – right now it just doesn't look like we're climbing any type of ladder. You're right. I mean, that was that was Zhao. Remember, it, it, you just, I was just thinking two, two four-year seasons ago, he scored against Arsenal. He scored you know, in like he six was, consecective games. That's or right. Like yeah. That. Yeah. yeah, scored in that Arsenal game, and it was a cracking header, wasn't it? It, it? And it was so well played, so confident. And do you remember him, him sort of ambling over in his gangly way to you know to the kind of corner flag, sucking his thumb with this sort of oozing kind of European confidence? He had the it was Brentford amazing. goal it was too, the one that sticks out for me, the yeah. winner against Brentford. Right. He just sort of right. calmly takes down after a little bobble in defence and slots it yeah. home. And all of a sudden, you think, "Wow, we've we've got a real prospect here." You know, we paid good money for him to get him, you know, out of Portugal. I think a twenty-one-year-old, and he just, yeah. If anything, he's regressed. Well, I oh. think a lot of it is is lack of effort as well, and I think that we're seeing that across the board. See, and I we can I don't know if you can hit Jow with that weirdly enough. Like he. It, He's not he doing looks anything like with he, the ball at his feet. Well, yes, but he looks like he's trying. It's just nothing is coming off for him. What's he trying to do? Just run around, look like he's trying, and then I what? I think he's trying to beat, like, four guys that look, are surrounding I, him at all times. I, I just think across the squad, watching on Saturday that uh, – or Friday, excuse me. Was it Friday or Saturday? My goodness. It was Friday. It's been almost Friday. Like, yeah. It feels yeah. like it was months ago, but – Right. Um, it just seemed like watching those players uh, – there was there was no effort. I think we can specifically pick out Morgan Fox. Um, I was incredibly incredibly frustrated with him to the point where I I even tweeted, you know, he shouldn't wear a Wednesday shirt again. Um, not only did he get that dreadful red card at the end, but you know there was there was a couple moments where he he wasn't doing anything, just kind of he had some space that he could have run into, and he he just looked at it and and looked like he was quitting, and then. And and I was watching at work, so I might have mis I might be misremembering this, but there was a ball that was played closer to the end of the game that was over the heads of, of a lot of our players in the box, and it fell to the right side, our right side of the goal, the keeper's left. And it looked like it was just kind of dribbling out of bounds. And Fox just stared at it. He was the closest man to it. He he could have gotten to it. And the ball just rolled out nice and slowly. Like maybe he thought that Wolves had touched it and he just let it roll out. And at the end of the, a match like that, if you see a ball that you can get to that close to the goal, you have to go get it. And it was shortly after that that he basically let a man get behind him and just deliberately stepped on his heel or calf or whatever he did. I, I was just fuming mad at Morgan Fox and, and really, truly hope, hope I don't see him again on the pitch. 
I think I think that was true across the across the the kind of team, wasn't it? There was this sort of lack of kind of spark in those moments. It was almost like a apathetic pause at times, you know. I I, I was thinking about um, Van Aken. I think we saw the kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly with this guy, didn't we? In this match, where you know we saw him piling forward a few good balls. He had a, an unlucky header actually off the back of his head, but you know he was rising well. He looked good in attack. Yeah, that was probably the good, you know. Um, and then, and then the bad is him, him kind of getting, getting, um, getting caught, you know, with some random kind of hoofing the ball in the air, just sort of sticks his leg out randomly. He hasn't got that kind of professional control as a defender to wait for the the right moment. You know, we saw what happened the other week when he got up and under a ball, uh, led to a goal against us. And then the truly ugly, and I think this is what you're talking about, is a sort of almost apathetic kind of approach to def- to, to play. Like Fox, Fox was guilty of it, I think. Jones at times, even Butterfield, I saw it from, just not really committing. And we saw Van Aken get turned just embarrassingly by Natini, who just played with him, you know, uh, in the first couple of minutes. And I just thought that right there is this sort of apathetic kind of uh, sort of approach to you know to, to to energy levels in our team at the moment, just not really happening. I think it was very stark without Bannon and Lee available, just how sort of meh the midfield is. Because at least if you have Bannon in there, it's like driving box to box. You know, he'll run balls down. He'll make something out of nothing. You know, he can get the wing wingers, you know, whether it's the fullbacks or the, you know, the midfield wing players into the game more. You know, just Jones isn't really able to do that. And at least if you have Lee, you can get runs into the box, scrappy goals. You know, you can, you can create something out of nothing. There just wasn't really anybody in the squad that could do that. I mean, Hooper's sort of the closest to that kind of player, and he was, you know, dropping so deep. It's just, I don't know. And it's, you know, it's just the same game over and over again. I was, like, half-checked out watching it on my phone at work, but I didn't really know that much to do. It was a Friday afternoon, so I just sort of stuck with it. And also, I have to do this podcast and sound semi-intelligent. But, I mean, I literally could have just repeated all my talking points from last week without having watched the game, and they'd probably be, you know, close enough you wouldn't even notice. Yeah, I think I think we're dead without Bannon in the midfield. Um, I, I like a pairing of, of Bannon and Butterfield. I think we saw it a couple times earlier on. Uh, there's no creativity out of Butterfield. He's not going to create anything. But if he, if he can play in behind Bannon a little bit and give Bannon the freedom to run around, I think that... Uh, we're in good shape because Butterfield plays uh, some decent defense, and he he plays the the easy pass, uh, the technical passes. He he does well distributing the ball. Um, so yeah, it's it's tough in the midfield, and I think that's that's why we see Hooper drop back so often is because we don't move the ball well through the midfield, and without his help coming back to move it, we're we're not even gonna get close to a chance. So. It's it's just a rough a rough situation all around. Also, not on the pitch this week was the manager. Carlos was of course in the stand serving his one match ban, and then uh, very notably left at about the ninety first minute, as I recall. Yeah, it was it was right after uh, we entered stoppage time, and I think what stinks for him is that the cameras caught him <laughs> leaving, and. You know, it just became clear to all of us that it's a sky game. You got to be careful. 
It's yeah, not it is. <laughs> it is. And um, it was disappointing to see. I can understand if, if there are people just absolutely berating him around where he's sitting. But at the same time, you're the manager of this club, and you're supposed to be the leader. And when you see a guy walk off or walk out on the team before the match is, is completed, we're only down by one goal, by the way. You know, we, we still, well, we didn't even register any chances for the most part during the whole match. We still had a chance to at least draw even. Didn't Ian right? Holloway he, have a whole spiel about this recently? About people yeah. leaving early. Right. And our manager leaves early? Are you kidding me? That That's, that's not okay uh, for me. I don't care how bad badly you're getting booed. You stick it out until the end of the match. Yeah, I mean, and it might have been because he needed to, you know, try and get down to the, you know, to the uh, the dressing room to see the team. But I agree with you; it was a little premature. Um, but you know, and J- James was there. Um, if he was on now, he'd be able to kind of elaborate. But I, I think talking to him earlier in the week, um, he was saying how vocal the, you know, the the negativity aimed at the uh, the box, you know, the the uh, executive box was specifically at Carlos, uh, you know, sort of booing and jeering. I think it was at that time when a, a bunch of our fans decided to offer up a, a wallpaper selection for Chancery's <laughs> office, didn't they? Which I thought was was pr- probably not the right thing to do either. But uh, it's you know sentiment is clear, isn't it? That uh, poor old Carlos is uh, is in for a rough time from now on. Well, and, and I'm not condoning that type of behaviour. I'm not saying it's okay uh, that that fans have done that. But I'm saying you, you can't leave early on the team, and and you're the manager. You need to expect when things aren't going well. You, People are going to come at you. You know, you're in that position. Yeah, to manage the team, but it's also partly a PR role. You know, and that that's not good PR to leave early. And while we're talking about PR, there was a, a moment that some people caught uh, where they showed Chansiri in the crowd, and, and he was laughing and joking with his with his pal, whoever was sitting next to him. I don't know who it was. Um, for a for a minute, that struck me the wrong way. Uh, because we were obviously not playing well and then my mind went to you know him being a human being and i'm just kind of curious what uh, if you guys caught that and if you had any opinion on it that that stuff doesn't bother me at all i think you sort of hit on it like you know it's a long 90 minutes it's a long season you're gonna go through bad there's somebody complaining that like westwood i think was laughing down to one or something a couple weeks ago like you know it's just let them all be human like the results are the results performances the performance we can certainly critique that as we have in the past but i'm not gonna like drill i don't expect them to be like angry soccer playing robots i think uh i mean the carlos point is a good one like if you don't if the manager doesn't think the team can find an equalizer in the last three minutes then that's a pretty stark criticism of the squad or the style of play or really all of it at this point and that's you know it's it's bad optics but i think it's also more to it than that you know chancery laughing in the box like first of all we're fucking sheffield wednesday fans if we can't appreciate a little bit of gallows humor i mean come on if you can't laugh a little bit through the bad performances like what have you been doing for the last 20 years at this point Right. Um, and to Paul's point, where maybe he needed to get down and 
see the players in the dressing room. What, what's he in a hurry to go say? What, what's he going to say <laughs> yeah. that's going to make any of that better? Um, I don't know. Uh, I'm I'm over Wolves, and uh, we just gotta we gotta figure something out soon. In better news, the 2017. 150th anniversary kit is here. It will actually be worn in 2017 on the 150th anniversary. Yeah, I was excited to see that. Um, I've it looks been pretty waiting. good from the pictures I've seen. Yeah, I, I've been waiting specifically for that kit to come out to actually make a purchase of a kit this year. And all of a sudden they've sold out of every <laughs> extra large variation they have. I joked so, in the WhatsApp group that there's no way they'd sell out of my size which is men small uh, and of course they did they did probably because the children had to, to <laughs> grab the, the men's small yeah. it was so little yeah I, it's not it's not the children <laughs> <laughs> it's um it's all the ladies because uh, jeff's got the body of a woman as we were talking about earlier in the whatsapp group yeah I, I actually know that's true because there's a there's a few people on twitter that i was talking to that were saying it's, it seems to have sold out so i think the women are buying the men's small now that's that's just going to clear the last few out so i won't be able to get that but i will be able to get a very nice uh football bobble from football bobbles because they're they've added a away kit version a yellow and blue bobble to match their pre-thanksgiving release of the the Sheridan bobble, as they call it, which is the, the blue and white uh, hat from that era. I gotta say, I love it. I love the my blue and white one, and I can't have enough Wednesday hats. I always wear them in, like, April and May at night games behind home plate because they're very warm. So I am looking very excited to this. But I do want to know which one of you on the Owls America's Twitter handle suggested they name it the Phil King bobble instead of Dijon Hark's bobble which was my suggestion. I put my name on it. I suspect it was Patty. I think it was, no, it was Patty, it, yeah. It, yeah, it must have been. It wasn't me. I love Kingy, yeah. but uh, like, uh, all I have in my head when I see that, you know, that yellow and blue hat in this case, but the yellow and blue kit that it's sort of referencing is the, you know, John Hark's fist pump goal of the year against Darby. That's who I always see in that shirt. Probably because I've watched that highlight about once a week for the last 10 years or so. Yeah, so I uh, I think those, just a last point about the bobbles, I think those guys do a great job, or guys and girls, you know, I don't want to leave anyone out, but um, yeah, those are fantastic. I mean, and it's I, not, it's not just us, too. They, uh, like every one they do looks great like they just released a, a newcastle away one recently that looked amazing and they posted something else today i saw that looked, i think it was the purple stoke one like they just do a really really nice job with it yeah definitely so i'll be ordering that when it uh when it comes out in a few weeks and that will I but again you see jeff i mean i i agree with everything you're saying i think they look mint they're really great to look at on twitter um, or on other people, but when you're as big as I am, if I wear a bobble hat, I look like an large? absolute. Well, that's one thing. I can't actually fit through a door cut for humans, but it just—it's just ridiculous on somebody my size with a bobble on top of my head as well. So you know, like you wear the ladies' shirts, you stick to your bobble hats. I'll—I'll uh, <laughs> I'll just go. Uh, I'll go with no hat, thanks. The world is my uh, oyster for Sheffield Wednesday wear, I guess. 
Yeah, I'm still trying to convince my wife to let me get a flat cap. I actually have trouble with flat caps at this point because my hair's so long. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not a great look. When my hair's shorter, like in season for baseball coverage, then I can wear them. But like Do right we, now uh... I don't stick to my bobbles. Do we have anything other than hats to talk about? No, we will oh, really? now take no. a break. I was about to transition into it, and you had to just, like, <laughs> stick yourself in there, didn't you, Evan? Well, I, I tried to transition a couple times, and you didn't didn't take the bait, so. It's fine. <laughs> Here I we mean, go. Everybody's doing Christmas travel. They can live with a little bit longer episode. We will take a break. When we come back, we will turn it over to James with a very special guest, potentially also named James. <laughs> Hello, and uh, welcome to uh, an episode within an episode. Uh, an Easter egg at Christmas, if you will, or a festive edition of the Owls Americast. In fact, it's a, a first for the Owls Americast. It's an outside broadcast, um, and one that we're, uh, we're indulging in in the, uh, the Christmas season over in Sheffield, um, where uh, I'm joined by a, uh, an illustrious media veteran of the, uh, the Sheffield <laughs> broadcasting scene, uh, who I'll introduce in just a moment. I'm, I'm James Allen, your Manhattan Owl. I'm emphasising the Alan element of that because this is uh, this is a conversation of two Jameses. Uh, sat across the table from me in the stag on Salter Lane is James Marriott um, of Wednesday Week fame and Sheffield Telegraph fame and Sheffield Live fame. Media Hall tends to cover all, all, all of the above. I was, uh, I, I was going to lead towards that, that <laughs> ultimate accolade. Um, so some of you who've been uh, eagle-eared listeners over the last few weeks, and I know there are one or two of you, may have heard James crop up on our podcast about two weeks ago uh, with a, uh, a complaint. It was a complaint about our light... It was a furious complaint. It was a furious complaint. A, a, a complaint about our light treatment of the downright ridiculous city of Hull, uh, or rather, more specifically, my light treatment of yeah, the downright yeah. ridiculous city of Hull. Um, so we, uh, we thought with the... Uh, the visit of Middlesbrough coming up on Saturday, it would be appropriate to have James on the pod to help us to uh, to build up towards the preview of, uh, of Middlesbrough and to talk yep. about the uh, the illustrious city up in the northeast that we'll we'll come to in a few minutes' time. But it was also an unmissable opportunity to uh, to get to know James a little bit better. Um, as fans of comic books, the Marvel series, for example, will know when a uh, when a franchise goes truly global, when uh, when there have been innumerable sequels and they've uh, they've really kind of spanned across multiple channels. The next thing that has to happen is you need an origin story. So we're going to spend a few minutes getting to know James in terms of how he became a Wednesdayite in uh, in keeping with our tradition. But James, first of all, um, I've got to ask you the time on a question, which is, what are you drinking? We're in a pub. Well, we are we are in a pub. Um, for it's, it's quite interesting. This I don't know how how much of your audience will be familiar with Thornbridge. I would imagine you, UK listeners will be. How much of the American audiences? Um, I don't know because you can't get Thornbridge in the US, but not not very not not many places. Not a lot, can no. it? So the pub that we're in is the it's the Stag Inn on Salter Lane in Sheffield, which is owned by Thornbridge, which is um, I think generally credited as being one of, if not the first, craft uh, brewery in the UK, and a, a lot of people I guess it's more likely that that, that that people in America will have heard of Brewdog which was actually set up by someone that originally worked at Thornbridge and then went off and set up um, Brewdog. So it was kind of the original sort of craft brewery. So so we're in a Thornbridge pub, which only sells Thornbridge beer. Um, so I'm drinking, it's called Rattlesnake, uh, and it's a West Coast IPA, which I thought was appropriate for the occasion. Quite nice, nice, nice fruity undertones, but a nice hoppy kick as well. 
And for the record, James arrived before me. He's about halfway down his pint. I'm uh, I'm nearly at the bottom of mine, which is a uh, a pint of Jamaican stout. Which I had to ask the barman what Jamaican stout actually is, and the um, the answer is that it's a a stout brewed with Jamaican hops, which is a pretty straightforward answer. It's got a hint of ginger yep. to it, and it's called uh, it's called Northern Black, which I guess is an oblique reference to a Paddy Jones Facebook status. Uh, <laughs> I'll move I'll move swiftly beyond that and. Um, and James, before we kind of get into uh, to preview Middlesbrough and uh, and talking about a few things Wednesday, I thought it would be really interesting to kind of go back to the beginning for you. Everybody knows you from the Wednesday week and all the aforementioned places that you've um, you've been commenting on Wednesday throughout the season. But um, some of our listeners may not know you, maybe as well as, as some of our UK listeners. So I thought it would be interesting to kind of ask the, the time on question, which is, how did you become a Wednesdayite? Um, yeah, it's it's a story I've told a, a few times, and it, ne- it never gets any better any time that I tell it because my origins have been a Wednesday fan, are, are pretty horrendous, really. You're from um, Barnsley. Uh, well, I'm, I'm I'm from Bars. I mean, that's pretty horrendous as well. That's a good that's start. Well, it's point, a bad yeah. start. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, I, I I grew up in Barnsley. My mum and dad separated when I was really young. My dad, big Wednesday fan. Uh, my mum not into football at all and obviously I live with my mum I spent weekends with my dad but I wasn't interested in football at all when I was when I was a kid just didn't didn't um, just didn't interest me in the slightest um, so I used to spend weekends with my dad and obviously he had to kind of give up going to the football because he spent his weekends with me and I, I wasn't that that fussed um, and then there was there was one Saturday in 1990 where um, during the week my dad contacted me at my mum's and said um, there's a football game this weekend that I really want to go to so I'd really like you to come with me if you don't want to come then I, I can either spend the day with you doing something different or would you mind me going anyway um, so I basically said alright I'll, I'll, I'll give it a go so I'd have been maybe 10 years old um, probably younger than that probably 9 years old um, so um, yeah, I kind of agreed to go to my first football game, and it was it was it was May 1990. It was a gorgeous, beautiful, sunny day, um, and I I remember it really clearly. I remember um, parking up um, Harry's Road and walking down. There used to be a pub. I don't know if it's there anymore. I think it's been knocked down now. There used to be a pub um, just on kind of the corner where two roads kind of merge into one, just before the, the bridge as you walk down towards the ground. Um, and I remember loads of fans being out there. It was so warm. People were taking the t-shirts off and putting them on the head to stop me getting sunburned. It was a gorgeous sunny day. I've got to stop you for a second. Yeah. And there's an oblique reason why I asked you this question because as you're walking down Harry's Road in the bright sunshine on that May Saturday, I think, in 1990, mm-hmm. there's a young lad who's parked up outside the old Dial House Club on the opposite side of the hill, right. and he's walking down towards the <laughs> South Stand for his first game. Wow. Which was me. Wow. So I've heard you tell this story a couple of times, and I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing more. But yeah. there was a strange coming together whereby two Jameses arrived at their first Sheffield Wednesday game on yeah. that same Saturday, yeah. just from slightly different sides of, slightly uh, different of sides. South Yorkshire, I suppose. And I mean, for either of us, we could not have picked a more horrendous first game as a Sheffield Wednesday fan because I mean, I didn't really understand football at the time. Um, it was a game that Wednesday. Um, ultimately really needed to, to win but a draw even actually a defeat would, would have been alright except for a, a, a really like unexpected set of scores elsewhere in the division meaning they'd be relegated from the old top flight to Division 2 uh, and of course Wednesday lost 3-0 and they were relegated uh, and I thought it was brilliant I was the only happy person in um, in, in that stadium um, because it was I, I'd never been before I thought it was absolutely wonderful the, the word oblivious stands out because in very similar fashion I had literally no grounding in Wednesday going into the stadium that day I'd, um, 
I guess I'd kind of uh, I'd started to get interested in, in football just in terms of what had been on usually on Saturday afternoons when I wanted to watch cartoons yep. um, so there'd been a little bit of transition there but my dad used to be um, well in fact his, his uncle was a director at Wednesday so he'd always had a connection at the club and once I kind of got to an age that he thought was appropriate to take me down to the ground he chose that same fateful afternoon to take me <laughs> to and I had exactly the same completely um, just un- unaware experience whereby throughout the game it was just a game of football to watch and the first time I was really aware that anything had gone wrong was when we were on the bus on the way home it was baking hot the windows wouldn't open and there were a bunch of Wednesday nights crying and I couldn't quite work out why they were crying I couldn't yeah. decide whether it was because they couldn't get the bus back into town because uh, it was probably about <laughs> 400 degrees on the top of a South Yorkshire passenger transport executive bus um, or as it turned out because we, uh, we were heading into, uh, into the 1991 season if they'd known what was to come I guess they probably wouldn't have been so downbeat well true true um yeah, so I mean, very similar kind of origins there, and um, for me, it was genuinely my first ever exposure to football. I just had not paid any attention to it at all, um, and then from from then on, it was uh, obviously a couple of months later was Italia '90, which I still think is the best World Cup that's ever happened, um, and probably will ever happen, with. at least based yeah. on the the upcoming known World Cups. Let's yeah, say yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and, and kind of took it from there really and, and sort of never never really looked back but um, it, it was only probably a couple of years afterwards that I actually stopped to look back and thought Jesus that was a weird first game to go to that was a strange set of circumstances to start following start following a football team almost the perfect way of kind of becoming indoctrinated in Wednesday though um, I've always told people that the if you're going to be set up for a lifetime of disappointment it, it pays to kind of start with a, a serious disappointment a real kind of cut that, uh, that makes you bleed I guess but the problem was after that it was kind of three years of everything going quite well you know it started with a serious downer and then it was kind of you know non-stop happiness for, for three years and my dad said to me several times he says don't get used to this we're crap we are crap don't think that this is normal because obviously we got promoted we won the League Cup the year after went to Wembley brilliant day out um, the year after that you know we were actually challenging to win the league until like the last day of the season uh, qualified for Europe um, and then you know reached two cup finals beat Sheffield United in the semi down at Wembley all these things happened and, and for me like I think I'd been to Wembley about five times in my first two years of supporting Wednesday and my dad kept saying don't get used to it it will not be like this forever I was like yeah 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 whatever Shit, he was right. He was right. It was um, probably five, six good years, and then it's been like 15, 20 years of crap since then. I, I'm, I'm, I'm nodding along it's, uh, to try and give you a visual clue in terms of the, uh, the way, the, what, what James just described, because I think that anybody who started supporting Wednesday in the early 90s knows that feeling. And yeah. um, For fans who are new to us, uh, fans especially in the Americas who are kind of getting to know the Wednesday brand, it, it's worth kind of going back and watching the season replays. I mean, they're, they're usually kind of pretty poor VHS copies on YouTube yeah. now. But just if you see the quality of the football that was being played and, and those three or four years that followed on from that game, there's a reason why so many of us in our, um, I was going to say in our early 30s, but maybe that's slightly optimistic these days, um, are, uh, are still so avidly passionate about what Wednesday can be because we, we saw it, we know what it feels yeah. like, we can, we can almost sniff it. Um, which kind of brings us to, uh, to today's Wednesday, James. So you're, uh, what are your famous quotes on the, on the Wednesday week? Our, uh, our kind of our illustrious podcast that we're uh, we're following on from with the uh, with the Isles Americast is that you should never look at the, the table before Christmas. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's the nineteenth of December. Yeah. Um, it pretty much is Christmas. At least yeah. uh, there was an awful lot of Christmas tunes on the uh, the way back down the A1 earlier on on the radio. So. I suppose the first question is: Have you looked at the table yet this season? I'm desperately trying to put it off. I, I do know where we are in the table because 
people have been you know, pains to mention it um, all over Twitter over the last few weeks uh, or I roughly know where we are in the table um, but I mean it doesn't I don't think you need to look at the table to get a feel for the way that our season has been so far and the way that our season is heading dear um, I think actually look, looking at the way that we've played over the last particularly couple of months um, probably looking at the table would actually be a bonus because you know we are in genuine relegation form right now. So looking at the table and not seeing us in the bottom three would, would probably be a little bit of uh, a, a, a little bit of a pick me up. That's possibly the most positive read on Wednesday's uh, <laughs> mid-season uh, perilous position that I've heard so far. Look on the bright side, we're not in relegation form. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if I you know if I remember a. Um, I, th- I guess it was kind of an end of season recap that, that you were part of um, after we missed out on the playoffs last year, yeah. last term round. You know, you, you were you were passionately arguing for the fact that Wednesday needed to progress. We needed to we needed to build on the foundation that we had, um, embrace the consistency that sticking with Carlos was going to give us, um, and try and find a blend, a blend between kind of the the fun, free flowing football of year one um, and the grind out results effective but let's be honest not enthralling football of, of season two yeah. um, it hasn't quite worked out like that way have no. you have you developed any theories as to why I mean you, you go to most games home and away so you see probably Wednesday more than almost any other fan um, other than those who, who are with you in the away stands um, you know what what's gone wrong between the summer and now in order to lead us to this point um, do you know I, I wish that there was a neat succinct answer to that question um, uh, anyone that listened to the Wednesday week this week will have heard me and Lord H having quite a long, uh, at times quite heated kind of debate back and forth between us about um, the things that are wrong. And the conclusion to it was the problems are many and they are plentiful. Uh, and it's difficult to kind of get a true kind of hold, a true feel on. There's no one thing that you can point to and just say that, you know, that's what's that's what's going wrong. It's really easy in hindsight to say keeping Carlos on for a third year was probably the wrong thing to do um, and, and it certainly it was the wrong thing to do but I was as loud a voice as any saying during the summer the right it's right to keep him on it's right to keep that consistency we're going to keep the same collection of players together keeping the same manager together the same coaching staff together is, is, is the right direction um, and I think you've just got to summarise it and just go do you know what for whatever reason it's just not worked it's just not worked and whether or not it's Carlos being uh, a bit of a one-trick pony, I think his past kind of managerial career might slightly kind of lead you to think that there's some um, credibility to that theory that he goes somewhere, he does something, uh, and then he generally has to move on pretty quickly because he, he gets found out as a coach in, in, in terms of how one-dimensional his uh, his approach to it is. Um, and he's had longer with us, I mean about three times longer with us than, than any other club that he's been at. Um, and I do wonder, uh, and I said this actually straight after the Bolton game, and a few people at the time disagreed with me quite, quite um, uh, to quite a great extent. Um, that I, I wonder whether or not he's lost the players, uh, and the players just think it's just same old Carlos rubbish. Because I don't see any great passion out on the pitch, um, and I, I, at times I see a team that looks like it's just not that fussed. Do you know there was a um, there was a really kind of startling moment on Friday night against Wolves? So. Um, James and I were both at Hillsborough. It was uh, 
absolutely perilous cold. Not perilous cold by Nebraska standards, but perilous cold by Sheffield standards. You know, people people in uh, in mini skirts and uh, string vests were certainly in danger of frostbite on Friday. And um, the the two teams came out for the second half, and Wolves immediately went into a huddle, moved to the sideline, and in one long line went into a quick kind of drill to kind of warm the players up. A lot of kind of banter, a lot of engagement going on between them. And you, you could just tell that that was a unit that that had a purpose. They were, you know, they knew they weren't playing particularly well that night. They'd, they'd obviously got a lead with a, an amazing classy finish from Neves, but they had a they had a sense of what they needed to achieve and how they were going to close the game out. Other side of the pitch, Wednesday had drifted out, and the players had gone literally to the four corners of, of the half area in the Leppings Lane end of the yeah. stadium. You know, and players weren't looking at each other, they weren't reaching each other up, and and that I think speaks to something of what you're describing. That lack of passion, whether it's from coach or from players, is it, kind of absent, which brings us to kind of the ultimate question which is at this point in the season with the season possibly slipping away um, you know playoffs are certainly now looking like a very distant shout with I think something like a 10 point gap for those of you who haven't looked at the table just yet um, you know you have to we have to change something yeah. it, you know the, if the rot is set in that will continue and it'll take us to a place where we're, we're unlikely to, to gain anything out of a season that was built up to, to such high standards what what would you change and if you can't change it is there a is there a secondary option um, I, I think I kind of I, I flied my flag quite early on in the season really in, in, in terms of what I think we need to do uh, I, and I do think it's a change in, in management um, I think I, I look at our squad certainly on paper and think this is a squad that's good enough to compete so why why are we not getting results and I think that we we've been found out I think the teams know how to set up against us um, and therefore we need to find different ways of breaking teams down we need to find different ways of setting up um, so that teams struggle to uh, deal with what we throw at them at the moment that's just not happening we're predictable we're really easy to read um, and all we do is we change between uh, a, a flat 4-4-2 and a 4-4-2 diamond that's, that's the only real tactical changes that we particularly make until it's the last 10 minutes of a game and maybe we'll throw on an extra striker and, and, and really try and go for it um, and ultimately play long ball and hope that Atty Nui is going to stick, stick the ball in the back of the net like he was doing 3-4 years ago or wasn't doing 3-4 years ago to be probably more accurate um, and, and, and that's it really you know the, the ideas just aren't there and, and, and you know for, for me the, the only real option that we've got available to us is, is a change in management um, and someone else to come in that's got fresh ideas that, that can look at the players that we've got and whether it's um, it's as simple as saying right well let's play 3-5-2 or let's do this or let's do that um, just someone that's willing to try something different put some different ideas into players' minds um, and, and try and find different ways of going about winning football games because at the moment we're we're absolutely miles off it we're, we're, we're miles off getting results in um, in, in, in games um, and, and what else can you change you know there, there isn't I'd, I'd love us to be able to just say right well half the squad let's just ship them out in January and let's buy all new players in but you've got a month you need teams that are willing to buy our players you then need to be able to guarantee that you can bring in replacement players plus the fact that you know financially at the moment things are, are, are you know, a little um, on edge we we certainly can't go out and spend stupid amounts of, of money so we've got to balance the books as well we did that last January and it hasn't yeah, played out it's not it's, it's just not viable you know really as I said earlier the problems are, are many and varied and plentiful 
the solutions are the opposite really I can only really see one thing that you can really do to try and have an impact at this stage of the season um, I've got to be honest the, the, the more time that goes past the less likely I think it is to happen the, the more likely I think it is that we'll just say we're just going to ride this season out um, Carlos out of summer and uh, out of contracts in the summer he'll be on his way and, and that's when we'll, we'll sort and, and that's probably the reality isn't it that, I mean we all know that Carlos doesn't get a fourth season unless Chancery is um, exceptionally committed to that relationship to a point that I don't think any credible analyst would be able to support so that, that, there, is, there is a, there's an end date to his tenure at Hillsborough on the assumption that we don't get promoted this year uh, anything other than promotion you have to assume means that he moves on in the summer yeah. so really the question as we go into January is do we are we willing to make that decision to write off the season to take another year in the championship or do we throw everything up in the air in order to, uh, to try and salvage the playoffs um, which I think I know where most Wednesday fans sit right now it's quite clear that's, that's where you are and um, I guess we can only hope that we see something of an upturn going into Christmas that, that suggests maybe that even if he does stay we, we see that sort of release in terms of flexibility around game plan in terms of formation uh, maybe trying a few players in yeah. in different positions, just just simply trying to to mix the um, the situation up because yeah. flat is uh, is certainly a way I described my first uh, game of five back at Hillsborough last Friday. Yeah. So, so I'm looking at things to uh, to get better. Um, they should get better if that's the case on Saturday against Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough um, are not doing brilliantly, are they? They're, they're in a, a similar sort of situation that, that we are, and they suffer from this kind of like um, they go up to the Premier League and everything's great, and then the reality of being in the Premier League kicks in and they come straight back down and then they've not really kind of got their, their shit together yet and they have Gary Monk in charge as well who um, at times seems like he's going to be the uh, the next uh, you know kind of next next young thing in British football the next yeah. thing he, he kind of looks like he may just be a, a central defender with a good comb over uh, masquerading as a manager it's never really entirely sure where he is but but no they're, they're, they're abouts I mean Wednesday could make up some significant ground in mid-table um, again laying you in on, uh, on what's going on with the, uh, the standings um, if we get a result on Saturday but that's not really what we're here to talk about we're not here to talk about the, uh, the football and, uh, and the calibre of uh, Middlesbrough squad or Gary Monk's hairdo um, we're here to talk about the city of Middlesbrough which is the reason we brought you on in the first place James yeah. because um, I think your, your critique was well made we, uh, we went a little bit easy on an east coast uh, middle of nowhere British town with no international standing um, this weekend we need to preview Middlesbrough and tell the world uh, tell our American America's listeners exactly what this um, this not so illustrious town uh, about 100 miles to the northeast of Sheffield is all about so um, maybe I can ask you to, to set us up and to, uh, to give us a little bit of a, a flavour of your view on, uh, on Middlesbrough, Middlesbrough. Um, I find this quite interesting because I think Middlesbrough falls into a very similar category uh, as Hull in terms of the fact that if you um, if you were to look it up on Wikipedia it would tell you that it's in Yorkshire Middlesbrough's never been in Yorkshire Middlesbrough don't want to be in Yorkshire we don't want them in, in Yorkshire in exactly the same way as, as, as Hull is, is not in Yorkshire um, and I was trying to think is there a word that you can use that sums up Middlesbrough uh, and I came up with the word grey when I think of Middlesbrough I just think of it being grey I, I, I think that's, that's entirely fair uh, except for I'd also mention that occasionally against the grey you see burning smokestacks uh, along the skyline um, which is not you know, it's not any kind of reference to industrial productivity it's just a lot of chimneys blazing yeah. flame um, which it doesn't really kind of say, it kind of looks like you're going into Mordor as opposed to if you're going into a, uh, a kind of a nice cultural centre of, uh, yeah. of international repute. Def- definitely grey smoke though, isn't it? 
a very great smoke. All, all yeah. way. Um, it is it is famous for a couple of things. It's famous for a bridge, the transporter bridge, which apparently you can see from anywhere within the uh, in the town centre. That, that, that's great. Um, I don't think has it ever transported anything in the last sort of two hundred years or so. Um, I, I wouldn't have thought so. Maybe it transported Ita Karanka out of Middlesbrough when he left. I don't know. But, it, um, it famously uh, appeared in a, uh, an episode of Alfida's Own Pet. Uh, in fact, an entire series of Alfida's Own Pet, in which um, the um, the fabled Geordies uh, were uh, were busy trying to sell a, uh, a kind of a copy of the Time Bridge to Americans, and they, uh, they managed to flog them the Middlesbrough Transporter Bridge <laughs> instead. Um, which is, uh, I guess, that, that maybe that's just an inside joke somewhere with our American listeners, yeah, but we'll, uh, we'll move on from that. Um, I think Middlesbrough is famous for one other thing as well, and that's for being the birthplace of the Parma, which is the local delicacy, which is a word that I use very loosely. Uh, my, my eyebrows are significantly raised because I've never <laughs> heard of this thing You've before. You've never heard so of the Parma. Let's, let's hear some more. Uh, it is, it's basically like a fast food fix, if you like, that consists of some kind of meat which is flattened and I have in my in my kind of head the image of just like a guy with a chicken breast and a, a, a big kind of rolling pin just beating the shit out of it like giving it a right good thumping as kind of the first part of this process um, I, I get, you can use pork or you can use veal as well, then you dip it in egg and you roll it in some breadcrumbs you deep fry it uh, then you cover it in some uh, bechamel sauce and put it, uh, put some cheese on top, which you then grill, and you have the local delicacy of Middlesbrough. It sounds like a heart attack waiting to happen. It pretty much is. Probably explain why um, it's not the healthiest place in the world, Middlesbrough. It's, it's not. It's not renowned for its beautiful people. Let's let's. It's not renowned it, for its beautiful it stop. No, no. That's uh, that sounds um, delightful. It kind of sounds like a. Uh, a Philly, uh, Philly cheesesteak, except um, not quite as tasty and possibly with added calories. Probably. A- apparently it's claimed by people in Middlesbrough that other, other places around the world have now started serving the Parmo. It's, it's a thing. According, according to you know Middlesbrough as an entity, uh, there are even parts of America where you can get a, a, a Parmo. I mean, it, is there a risk here? It just sounds a little bit like a derivation of a chicken Parmo. Um, yeah, I mean, I think except made with veal. It, it's yeah, and just a lot more cheese. Well, Bravo Middlesbrough, um, and that's the, that's I've, their only claim to fame you could find. It is, yeah. Um, I mean, I've got I've got many and varied facts about the Parmo that I can share with you if you um, if, if okay, you should uh, repeat our interest. Let's hear some more. There is a Parmo World Championships. And I'm going, to, I'm going to quote here from an article that I read earlier, which said, It's not exactly a global affair, with few entries coming from other continents, or even counties for that matter. Um, the, uh, the, the, the record for the world's biggest Parmo goes to Alfornos on Southfield Road in Middlesbrough, uh, which created one at seven and a half foot. Check <laughs> out. And the thing that I love about this is Al- Alfornos Palmo, Alfornos Palmo, and you have to say that really carefully to not end up saying porno. Um, yeah, he beat the previous record, which was uh, a six-foot square Palmo, which uh, was to celebrate Borough making the UEFA Cup final. 
which reminds me that Middlesbrough actually once did make the UEFA Cup final. It's embarrassing. Middlesbrough once in Europe. So hang on a minute. So the the world record breaking Palmo was not to celebrate anything that Middlesbrough had actually done, just simply to break the previous world record breaking Palmo yeah. that had been developed for the UEFA Cup final. It's seven and a half foot long. I get the impression that Alfordo's on Southfield Road in Middlesbrough is probably not much bigger than seven and a half foot long. They probably made it bigger if they actually had space to do that. That's probably the size of the place. It's That's it's going to be like it's going to be like your greasy one a.m. Seven, seven and a half foot long. That's almost as tall as the Norwich fan that we watched the game with last weekend in, <laughs> uh, in New York, um, who, uh, who I think was seven 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 and three quarters feet or something like that. Uh, please tell me you've. Uh, that's the the absolute limit of your knowledge of the chicken part. The, uh, the uh, I mean, there's, the there's many more. Um, I, I, I could tell you about uh, vegetarian versions and vegan versions if you um, if you want. Uh, or for a, for a healthy twist, you can try the lower calorie Parma version, uh, the Half Moon Inn in Lazenby, um, which it uses low-fat creme fraiche instead of bechamel sauce, uh, gluten-free breadcrumbs, obviously a lot healthier. Uh, and it's topped with uh, low-fat cheese. That that is it, though. That's all I've. That, that may I've may got. actually appeal to our New York fans a little bit more. If they had some quinoa dust on the top there, that would be uh, that would yeah. be an absolute winner. Well, there you have it. So Middlesbrough, the uh, the centre of culinary excellence. If you're a Palmo fan, and uh, precious little else. It's it's great. It's full of smokestacks and. Um, I think Ice Karanka is still hanging off the transporter bridge. <laughs> Middlesbrough did also um, birth, or at least the, the surrounding area, which incidentally, when, uh, when James says that Middlesbrough is not part of Yorkshire, that's because it's part of the county of Cleveland, which no one really understands as to whether it's a county or not. It's kind of a small postage address that isn't really claimed by Yorkshire, yeah. isn't liked by Tyneside, kind of sits, sits out there, not really doing very much at all. Yeah. And it's a bit like Rhode Island in that respect. Um, but Cleveland did give birth to Captain Cook, the, uh, the British explorer, so... Uh, for those of you who, uh, who like your British um, expeditionary history and all the, uh, the ills that followed from that, you can blame Middlesbrough for pretty much everything that happened in the South Pacific from, uh, from the mid-16th, sort of 17th century onwards. Um, so we'd better give them a beating on the weekend, I guess, for, for many reasons, if not only to save this, the sanity of Wednesday nights going into the, uh, the holiday period, um, yeah. but also to get one over the, uh, the Palmo purveyors of, uh, of the North East. We really owe them one as well, because it's... It's we haven't beaten them for a long time, have we? It's been a while, yeah. I mean, they've, they've, they've been all right for a few seasons now. And I, I remember um, I remember the last game of the first season when we were back in the Championship and we played Millsborough. And I think, they, I think they'd lost something like they'd not, they'd not won and not scored for something like 10 games or, or something like that. Uh, and um, strangely, it was... It needed like an exceptional set of circumstances, like us losing in a certain fashion, other teams winning, for us to be relegated. Exactly the same manner as that, as the first game that we both um, attended. And I think it was 25 years, pretty much to the day, um, that, that that game happened. Um, but um, you know, thankfully we did win. Stevie Howard, the legend that is, um, scored a cracker. Um, I can think of one person who would have been particularly excited when uh, when Steve Howard cracked that into the back of the <laughs> I can't the name just escapes me right now, but it's uh, somewhere out there in podcast folklore. Dear me, uh, and I'm sure he's listening. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, since then, generally we've 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 not had a great great time against them. I even remember actually the, the the season, possibly the season after that, when we went up there and we won three two, and we were three 0 up. I think Atenuiu scored. Two, um, and Stevie May scored one, uh, and then they scored like two penalties in the last 
five minutes of the game or something, and it ended up being 3 2. And, it was and we did the double over last season, didn't we? Because Addy scored yeah. a penalty at home as well. It was the last day of the yeah, season I think that, so, yeah. that year. Um, and and then, I, re- I, I only remember that one in particular because I probably should disclose that I've. I've invited James on to talk about Middlesbrough primarily because I've, I've kind of got a conflict of interest in that I have a, a kind of a soft spot for Middlesbrough FC in that my um, my cousins uh, kind of grew up in Cleveland in Gisborough not in Middlesbrough um, but as Middlesbrough fans and as we were uh, as we were starting to get intimate with Wednesday in the early 90s and I was running around the uh, the playing fields pretending to be David Hurst. They were running around pretending to be Bernie Slaven, um, um, one of the uh, one of the illustrious greats of Middlesbrough history when they were still playing at Ayrson Park. But I've kind of never quite been able to shake that that kind of affinity for them for that. And that was that season you were referring to when Addy scored uh, in both games. I think um, it's pretty much the only time I can remember having actually got one up on them uh, throughout a whole season. The, double, yeah. the rest and of the time, I, they they tend to have the upper hand on us. I don't think we've got a result against them since. And last season, of course, we went. Was it last season we went out in the FA Cup to them? Uh, yes, we did. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and frankly, you know, they they looked like a Premiership side teaching us a lesson with a second-string yeah. side last year. So it's probably more a mark of how far they've fallen that we're even talking about the game on Saturday as competitive, yeah. as opposed to the fact that um, Wednesday looking for results to try and um, try and stem the tide of, uh, of of antagonism. It's kind of the Premier League hangover, isn't it? And and we've we've got to take advantage of that. Um, you know, they're, they're readjusting to life in the championship and having a bit of a downer about the place after you know reaching the promised land of the Premier League, and then very quickly it's all over again, and it's it's difficult to kind of readjust to um, you know life back playing kind of Burton and Sheffield Wednesday. Um, so yeah, it, I mean it, it's, it's 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 probably a good time for us to play them in that in that regard. Uh, I don't think they've settled back into their rhythm yet. They've not got they've not figured out how they're going to win games in this league. Uh, whether or not they've actually got the right manager to take them forward or not, I don't know. But you know, it's a real good chance for us to exploit that situation. You're describing Middlesbrough's view of Wednesday, correct? The similarity between the two teams yeah. is is, uh, it's is startling, isn't it? it? Is, I mean, yeah, we don't have the, uh, the, the the Premier League hangover. Although, I mean, it's another way of explaining where we are this season in that we we clearly have a double playoff hangover. However, you however you explain yep. all the causality absolutely, and everything absolutely. else that's going absolutely. on around this. Um, we, we seem to be suffering greatly from the psychological scars of that, whether that's a management level or, or in the playing squad. Um, before we let you go, James, um, it's a bumper Christmas weekend, which um, in the UK means that we uh, we furiously play as many games as we can in a, uh, yeah, in a sort yeah. of five, six day period, which is great for uh, expats who are briefly repatriated to Sheffield like me, because I get to see, uh, I think I get to see five games actually while I'm back. Um, and hot on the heels of the Middlesbrough game, we have, uh, we have Forest on Boxing yeah. Day, um, which is always a favourite away day for Wednesday fans yeah, um, absolutely. very easy to get down to the uh, yeah. uh, to the city of Nottingham which is uh, just less less so on Boxing Day because no trains running but well, you, you pretty much walk it in about three hours if you uh, if, if you kind of yeah, you really have to get yourself going up so is, I've got to uh, I've got to ask you to double up I know you came on to talk about Middlesbrough but I've, yeah, I've got right. to ask, put you on the spot and ask you your views on Nottingham as a city as well um, uh, could not be more different I really like Nottingham I've got a lot of everybody likes for, Nottingham. For it's Nottingham it's hard it's hard to find a bad word to say about it it's um, I remember, you know, Nottingham ten years ago. There was a you know a pretty good chance that you'd get shot. They've kind of sorted all that out now, um, and yeah, it's it's very nice, and it is one of my favourite away days, and I am I am very much looking forward to. It. And I can't I can't give much of an insight into Nottingham as a city other than pubs, because that's kind of all I really know of of, of Nottingham. Of I'm most sure cities. Of, of yes, of most cities. That's very true. Um, but uh, yeah, so I mean, uh, Nottingham and, and particularly uh, Forest away, it's a good day for, for pubs. 
Uh, there's a very good one that's in the centre that's kind of, it's built into a canal. Um, so you get, a, a, there's a lot of good beer on sale there. It's where I discovered um, the Wild Beer Company Pogo, which is like a passion fruit, orange and guava beer, which is beautiful, uh, but quite strong. And uh, I also quickly realised that being in a pub that's built into a canal can be quite dangerous when you're drinking beer because of the risk of ending up in that. Set when you say built canal. into the canal, is it this like sort of like going to um, Sea World where you're kind of you know you're, you're subterranean? There's a big window and you can just see shopping trolleys in the yeah, room. Or it's, a- it's literally like there's there's you you walk into the pub, you have to walk across the the bridge into the actual pub part of it, uh, and and the bridge is over the canal so you, you'll you'll be sat on like um a surfer at the back of the pub and you look you, if you look over your shoulder then it is water that is behind you uh which is uh, i would guess for, uh, for for a number of football fans and, and wednesday not being this kind of raucous team but for a lot of football fans would would double up as like a makeshift toilet if they can't be bothered going all the way upstairs to use the um facilities i'm um, not sure that i can Criteria only applies to football fans, by the way. I think most people in Britain would also say that canals double up as makeshift toilets, slash dumping grounds, slash yeah. Yeah, just gen- I mean, general places for refuse. In, in a in a you know a, a quiet Sunday morning walk, you find yourself you know halfway along a canal and, and you need to relieve yourself. I'm not sure that that's a big issue, but when you when you're in a pub full of people out the window, that yeah, it doesn't get out so well. Yeah, yeah. it's not. It, it's um, I, I don't think I've described this pub very well. Like. It, it's not out of a window. It's literally like there's just kind of like iron bars across. To yeah, you, know, you, you 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 feel if there's a draft coming off the canal, you feel it. It's you like, smell it. It's there, and and you can smell it as well. Um, the other pub that I've got to mention in Nottingham is uh, the Old Trip to Jerusalem, which I believe is the oldest pub in the country, um, which is affectionately known by uh, me and my friends as the Cave Pub. Because of the fact that it is literally built into like the side of um, a, a massive big rock, uh, and it's a brilliant pub. The beer's not exceptional there; it's a little bit more traditional in terms of its um, its ales. More camera than crap. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's uh, just a brilliant experience being in there, and a real good laugh, um, and very unique. And every game that we've played when I've been in that pub before, we've won. So you're going on boxing there, right? Absolutely, absolutely. There you go. That's a perfect station there. And it is it is hard to say a bad word about Nottingham. Uh, I've got a lot of friends who live down there. Spent yeah. a lot of time there. It's a great night out. It's a great place to go for an away day. And it's um, yeah, it's sort of it's a city that's got its own problems in suburbs, but the city centre itself is actually a really nice place. And to your point about the cave, it has a, a fair bit of history going to it as well. Absolutely. So. Um, American uh, American listeners will uh, will probably think of Nottingham and think, oh yeah, the sheriff of Nottingham mm. or Nottingham, um, and think to themselves, Robin Hood, um, yeah. the most famous son of of, of Nottingham, um, the uh, the outlaw bandit who uh, who camped out in Sherwood Forest with his merry men and uh, and did all of his uh, you know stealing for the rich, giving to the poor, and all of that good folklore, um, or just generally singing really crap. Sort of 1960s, 1970s folk songs with uh, with Friar Tuck in a Disney version where he was a uh, he was a fox. But the only sticking point here, from a Sheffield point of view, is that Robin Hood isn't from Nottingham. Yeah. So you know, yeah. Nottingham has made this this big tourist industry out of the uh, the Major Oak and, uh, and Robin Hood's exploits with uh, with Maid Marian. Uh, sorry, I didn't want to go into Maid, his exploits with Maid Marian, but um, <laughs> Robin Robin Hood is is actually Robin of Loxley. Loxley being a valley uh, probably about two miles away from James and I are sat right now in, yep. uh, in Sheffield so 
you know the uh, the buggers down in Nottingham may um, may be lording it up with uh, their rich story history of uh, of Robin Hood and the Crusades. They've uh, they've made multi million uh, dollar films out of it with Morgan Freeman and Kevin Costner. Yeah. Brian Adams has been on top of the charts forever as a result of it. It, it was forever as well. And it's and it's all built on Sheffield's foundation. So a uh, a young man named Robin of Loxley became Robin Hood in the Forest of Sherwood, and um, the myth was uh, was born from there. So uh, so Sheffield. Sheffield gave what Nottingham has uh, has benefited from. Yeah, let's, uh, yeah. let's leave it there. And I think that that kind of story only became um, widespread in the aftermath of Doncaster naming its airport after him, which complicates things even more because people were like, well, "Why is Doncaster naming its airport after Robin Hood who's from Nottingham?" And it was like, "Well, he's not. He's from." Sheffield, but the airport's not in Sheffield anyway, so it didn't make any sense. They have changed the name of it, so it doesn't, doesn't really matter. Is it not anymore. called Robin Hood International no. Flying Finningley Airport anymore? No, it's uh, Fly DSA now. Doncaster Sheffield Airport. Yeah, interesting. So the, the Robin Hood name's been um, been erased from history. In, in, I, I mean, in fairness, it, you know, if this were America, everywhere from Nottingham as far as probably Wakefield would be known as one place anyway. Yeah. It would just be the city of Sheffield. So, you I, know, I, it's a fair point. That I imagine the people that look at a map and see the distance between Sheffield and Nottingham, and it's it's nothing to which, which means that you, being from Barnsley, are also from Sheffield. Yeah. The uh, Robin of Loxley was a son of Sheffield and made good for Sheffield. Um, and frankly, half the teams that are around us and keep on taking points off, it shouldn't exist. So, you know, if only we could uh, we could make good on this and, uh, and maybe Wednesday would uh, would have a better season. But um, I think that's probably a good point to uh, to leave the Nottingham preview and uh, and James um, to thank you for uh, for coming on and joining us uh, this week. And I guess kind of uh, you know all of our listeners are, are probably familiar with you already, but um, I'll probably keep telling them a little bit more about yourself. So really enjoyed having a chance to talk to you. Um, My pleasure. And from what I understand, you're going to be spending some time in the US next summer as well. So uh, maybe a chance for a few of our, uh, our US-based listeners to get to know you a little bit better and over a beer or two in uh, in New York uh, in June. That would be fantastic. Yeah, I'm over for uh, it's just a week in June or a week, uh, like a week and a day or so. Uh, but yeah, it would be absolutely brilliant to try and catch up with as many people as uh, as possible. Fantastic. Well, this has been an, an episode in an episode, uh, kind of the inception of Al's Americas podcast, if you will. Um, so uh, from James and from James, uh, wish you a very happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Joyeux Noël, um, any other way in which you want to celebrate, Happy Hanukkah. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll see, you, uh, see you all back in the new year. James, thank you for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you. Tell you what, anytime someone talks about Nottingham Forest, I immediately think of Robin Hood and my childhood watching the the Disney version uh, where Robin Hood is a fox and they him and Little John, who's a, a big bear, they're walking through the forest. Brings back a lot of memories. Have you ever heard the song? I haven't. No. I think it's still in my parents' basement on VHS somewhere, so yes. Yeah, it's just... Uh, Robin Hood and Little John are walking through the forest. Oodle lolly, oodle lolly, golly, what a day. Oodle lolly, oodle lolly, golly, what a day. We're going to have you sing the intros from now on, I think. Yeah. I've, yeah. I've no idea what you're on about. No idea what you're t- talking about at all. You millennials. <laughs> you lost me. This, this thing's from 1973, isn't that the year <laughs> you were born? Sure. Uh, I think the match previews have been well covered now. So we will move on slightly out of order from our 
Do you know oh, any more uh, uh, Disney songs, Evan? Can we just sing us out and cheer everybody up with some more Disney songs, maybe? And what do you want to hear? I can show you the world. Shining, shimmering, splendid. I've completely lost control of this show. <laughs> yep, let's do something else. <laughs> Dispatches from American Baseball? Also soccer. Sort of. Uh, Barnsley got bought by a Chinese billionaire. That's not particularly noteworthy nowadays, I feel like. Uh, someone pointed out to me on Twitter the sort of mid or lower tier championship teams or on the rise League One teams are probably the best source of investment because if you do turn them into a you know a Bournemouth or a Watford or a, a Burnley, there's incredible ROI in the Premier League. I mean, you know, two years ago we were in that spot with Wednesday. Uh, you know, if we had gotten up quickly, the return on Chen Series was it like. 30 or 40 million pounds sterling, I think, ended up being the actual sale price there. Yeah. So Barnsley is just the latest in line, and this would not normally be noteworthy, except uh, Billy Bean. Uh, I guess he's not even general manager anymore. I think he's like senior vice president or director of baseball operations uh, of the Oakland Athletics is a minority investor. Yeah, so I specifically recall picking up the book Soccernomics, um, I don't know, a few years ago. And they it's all about basically the sabermetrics of soccer. Uh, sorry, football. And in the beginning, they, they talk about Billy Bean and how you know he led the charge uh, for sabermetrics within front offices in Oakland. And then he also is a, a big soccer lover and helps out at Liverpool, I believe. Yeah, that's where he was a consultant, yes. Okay, yeah, so... It could be quite interesting to see kind of how Barnsley moves forward from here and, and see if they kind of inject any weird tactics. Maybe that's what Carlos is trying to do, and we just – sorry, Carlos is trying to do, um, in, injecting some weird stuff that we don't know about. Remember, he said a couple of weeks ago he has a plan, and he can't tell us what his plan is until the season's over, which um, is the dumbest narrative I've ever heard. So, I will say that – you know, this isn't all that different from what Brentford does. I mean, if you want to talk about sort of like the money ball of soccer, which is what the comps are going to be, um, you know, for our British listeners um, that may not be as familiar with with rounders as Evan and I am, you know, money ball was sort of the idea to how you would be able to... All right. So it's been interpreted a lot of different ways. It's really about finding market inefficiency. So things that are generally undervalued by the larger baseball culture in whatever it was 2002 it was on base percentage you know guys that could draw walks essentially i don't know what that is in soccer per se that they might be able to exploit you know brentford system is sort of you know they have their sort of advanced statistics i don't know what they use if it's a you know some sort of expected goals thing or some sort of higher form of passes made or passing efficiency for like midfielders i don't know the exact ins and outs of of how they run it but you know they essentially put a value on their players and they won't sell them at least unless they get that value and it's sort of not all that different from what you see functionally with teams like porto that find players from all over the continent bring them up develop them and then sell them for a profit you know it's basically what brentford's done it hasn't quite turned into actual championship success yet obviously they're in a lot better shape than they were five ten years ago but i don't know 
how exactly that's going to work for Barnsley functionally. Um, baseball is also, uh, a, as far as analysis goes, it's a series of discrete one-on-one matchups between pitcher and batter. Soccer, there's a lot more tactics, theoretically. I don't know, we're Wednesday fans, it's hard to tell anymore. But, you know, there's more interaction between players on the same team, interaction between, you know, team and opposing team, between midfield and strikers, defense and keeper, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's just more permutations. So I don't know if you can apply sort of, you know, basic, what would be called in baseball, sabermetric principles to soccer. You know, certainly people have tried. Um, I don't know, you know, if you look at the teams that have really sort of outperformed their projections in recent years, you know, sort of the classic example would be they were all going to be hearing until we're 90 years old as Leicester winning the Premier League. That was not that they don't use advanced metrics of the understanding that they do. That was great scouting finds. It was finding players like Mares and Conte when sort of everyone else overlooked them. And that's, you know, I think always been part of soccer. I don't know if Billy Bean's going to point you to those types of players uh, or if he's just uh, a notable name that gives it the purchase a little bit of sexiness. Sure. And Barnsley, right, from so, what I understand, could use a little bit of sexiness. Absolutely. Evan, can you just sing that Robin Hood song again, please? Wake me up. No. Did you not? This apparently is not a well-known thing. I did that with San Diego Owls. And, like, my other side hustle is writing about baseball things like this. So. <laughs> That oh yes, yeah. Let's it's make that, that clear sounds... real quickly. <laughs> Jeff's yeah. second job. Third, uh, sec- is, yes. This is my is, third job. That's my second job. Right. He writes about baseball, specifically about young baseball prospects in different organizations, um, and so that that is astounding because a lot of people don't know that, and that's that makes up about seventy percent about what he tweets about. So you must not have too many confusing. followers. Yeah. I don't. I, um, yeah, I try to. It is what it is. I don't like some people like separate. Like I should probably have a separate soccer Twitter, but whatever. And and he's also shit at sarcasm. So also that, that as well as you might know from the first eleven episodes of this show. There's more actual dispatches from actual American soccer. Uh, there is Columbus Crew and Nashville breaking news. I did see that Nashville. Like, Literally, I think, hours before we went on air, it was like they are going to get an MLS team. I mean, you might have known that from the fact that there was going to be some sort of announcement in Nashville by the MLS president, which was announced a few days ago. Right. But yeah, what, is, they, what is up with the latest news on the Columbus crew, Evan? Well, I I don't think it's it's really huge Columbus crew news as much as it is just soccer, MLS soccer in Ohio in general. Because... Sure. Cincinnati was was a really huge um, favorite. One that maybe not a favorite, but they were one of the top four teams that uh, were were competing for the MLS expansion bid. And w- since Nashville has received one of the two expansion, oh, I guess award. I don't know what you call it. Um, opportunity. We all think that Sacramento out in the West will be the second team, which means Cincinnati has been left out. And if that is indeed the case, the whole premise of the Columbus crew leaving and to, to leave you know room in the market for FC Cincinnati kind of uh, it, it kind of confuses the situation, you know, because people believed 
that since Crew had announced they were going to move, that Cincinnati would be a shoe in for the expansion, so that Ohio still had a soccer team in its market. So I I don't know. It's it's quite confusing at the moment, and uh, many people in in Cincinnati and Columbus, the, the cities are about an hour and a half away. Uh, they're, they're very confused, and you know we'll have to see who that second um, second franchise is awarded to. But it's just a strange situation. Well, we can poke you awake again for a update on our snazzy Owls America's jacket. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's it's going down well. So thanks everybody for showing interest. I think most of you will have um, will have seen James modelling this thing. We shared some stuff on Twitter um, last week, and then he was at the match on Friday night wearing the jacket. And um, uh, lots of people were uh, you know were very impressed. Had a look at it, and um, people are tweeting us, emailing us, saying that they're all in. So we're we're, we're very excited. We've we've started to look at kind of. You know the boring stuff like a unit cost and how we're going to make it and ship it and stuff. So, so coming soon we'll have um, an ordering mechanism and we'll probably be asking you for uh, you know a commitment of just size um, rather than a financial commitment. And then we'll see see what that looks like, drive down cost, and then talk about getting these jackets rolled out properly. Probably at some point through January. So that's our bit of merch news. Do we have any other business from the Owls Americast? Not anything I can think of. Uh, do we have any meetups this week? So that's a good question, Evan. Um, and whoever set this agenda, which was not me, I'm guessing it was James, because it's always James, put that on there. However, nobody's updated the website, so when I went to check the meetups right now, because I realized you'd have, probably have that preloaded, before you toss me that softball question. Uh, as far as I know, there's no meetups for the holiday season. I think there's um, kind of an, an unofficial meetup in New York. That's all I know because we're talking about it on Friday. Um, we've got a couple of borough friends down there. Um, I'm not sure who's going to be there. Most people are going to be out of town or, or with families, but um, a, a few of us might pop down to Football Factory to watch the borough. I was going to try to get down there for Boxing Day, but I cannot make any promises. So that's your... Any Anyone's welcome at the Skilleter residence to watch on Saturday morning. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, that is pretty much the show. Jeff, I've got a quick question. Yes, go ahead, Paul. It's a, it's, this is a, a very personal, specific question for you, Jeff, from my little boy, who uh, is, is a keen listener, actually. He really likes you, Jeff. You're his, you're his favorite. Um, and his, I'm his very popular question, on both sides of the Atlantic, apparently. So, so I hear. So I hear. Um, his, his question is, Jeff, is your full name Jeffy? No, it is Jeffrey. Okay. Thank you. R-E-Y. People keep spelling it E-R-Y for some reason. Does anyone actually spell their name that way? Jeffrey. Yeah. I think we want to call you Jeffy. So My boy calls you Jeffy. That's fine. That's that's fine. Yeah, that's that's a nice name. I'm not going to crush his dreams. (sighs) Thanks, Jeffy. (sighs) And Nasty P. Yeah, that too. Got a couple nicknames. 
This has been the Owls AmeriCast, episode 11. You can find us on the internet at owlsamericas.com. Email the show at owlsamericas at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at owlsamericas where somebody keeps tweeting out pro-kingy stuff. Our podcast intro and bumpers are by fellow Wednesdayites Reverend and the Makers. The podcast is on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbeam, and probably anywhere else you choose to download podcasts. There's no wrong way to listen to the show. Just do what feels right. Wherever you choose to consume the Owls Americast, we ask that you rate and review the show. It helps more Wednesdayites find our ramblings. Speaking of ramblings, you can leave the show a voicemail on our dazed and mumbled line at one 307 1867. International rates do apply, but you can dial it for free using Google Voice. Evan is on Twitter at Ohio Owl. Evan, what are you serving up at the skill to reference for the game on Saturday? Uh, we can do pancakes uh, as well as some eggs, bacon, get some potatoes in there as well. Uh, and then anything else you, you might want, I'll, uh, I'll make sure we cook it up. Fireball Just- on hand, of course. Of course, it's not even a question. Paul is on Twitter at the O Wednesday. Paul, if I have a kid, can he call you Polly? Of course, anytime. As long as I can call you Jeffy. That's my grandmother's name, Polly. Your grandmother's, grandmother's called Polly. Polly? Yeah, it's 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 Pollyanna. So yeah, Polly. Polly. P O L L Y. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Is, is that the t- granny that likes owls? Nah, this is the the conservative grandmother who. Uh, really enjoys conspiracy theories. Yeah. Ah, Everybody has one of those too. I feel like. Yeah. I'm on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. We'll see you back here to recap two games. It'll probably be a lot, a lot like the last eleven or twelve we recapped next week. Night, night, Jeffy. Robin Hood and Little John walking through the forest, laughing back and forth at what the other has to say. Reminiscing this and that and having such a good time Oodle lolly, oodle lolly, golly, what a day Never ever thinking there was danger in the water They were drinking, they just guzzled it down Never dreaming that a scheming sheriff and his posse Was watching them and gathering around Robin Hood and Little John running through the forest Jumping fences, dodging trees and trying to get away Contemplating nothing but escape and finally making it Oodle lolly, oodle lolly, golly, what a day Oodle lolly, oodle lolly, golly, what a day